Welcome to episode 17 of the Bear Tiger podcast. I'm joined today by Mark Raven. Morning. And James Slate on his phone. How are we? He's checking stats and numbers, no doubt. So, pretty big week for for the world of golf, but not at the top level, at the slightly lower down level of the Challenge Tour. So let's start there. Uh, we'll get back to what you boys have been up to this week afterwards, but let's go straight in with the Challenge Tour thing. We got it on the television where we're podding from. I watched most of it yesterday. There's a few names in there, the players that I know and we know. So yeah, even though it's not, not quite major championship stuff, it's a major to these guys. Played out in Mallorca. It was a culmination of the Challenge Tour. The top 20 players from the year-long standings get a DP World Tour card, which is absolutely life-changing to pretty much all these guys on some level, from guys who have dropped down the tours, guys who are on their way up, and um, yeah, it's a stressful situation. Mark, you've been in some Q school situations on different tours and so forth. It's quite a... That, it's that similar sort of pressure, knowing that, you know, a good week could change your following year completely yeah yeah it's a it's obviously a big week you know some of these guys get to play through and then this just comes around maybe there's a week or two's notice but for other guys on lower tours you you could literally spend two or three months preparing for this whether it's two days on the lower tours three four on the other ones or six on the the old school the sort of tour school yeah you can you can be spending as i say up to three months preparing for it or just a week but it is mega stressful yeah because alongside the challenge tour final was the stage two of the dp world tour school so you know it, it would have been we've got the uh, the pj tour playing like a you know in the wraparound season doing the early no pressure kind of events before christmas but then as you drop down it's just stress time big time right now for everybody else trying to make it to those tours and there was four different second stages of dp world tour q school where were they hosted said all are they all kind of that all in spain spain yeah yeah all in spain i'll list them off and porter was the first one then uh las calinas was nice. the next one then two that i haven't heard of before and then they work their way towards infinitium which is the finals but you like Las Colinas, don't you? Is that right? Am I right in saying that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like Las Colinas. Yeah, I've gone, yeah. gone through there a couple of times. But yeah, tour school is just not a nice place. And it's and, it, and this Challenge Tour Grand Final is a similar sort of thing, really. You know, you've got probably got the top 17 or so, 16 maybe, are guaranteed to get through. But then, you know, you basically you don't want to be in spots 18, 19 or 20 because they're the ones who are up for grabs. And, you know, as always, you've got to keep playing well. But, you know, our... Our mate Todd Clements, he entered the week 14th, had a stinker of a finish yesterday, but only dropped back to 16th in the yeah. end. He was pretty much safe. Had his um, his mum was texting me yesterday saying, oh, "I don't, I don't understand <laughs> she all loves this. That, yeah, she? I don't That's understand all this. I'm really nervous. What? <laughs> can, can you tell him what's going on?" And I was like, texting like, literally, he could finish last, and he's got a 22 shot gap between him and last right now, and he will be okay. So that was, I was like, just crack open the champagne. Yeah. But yeah, the, but, but then watching, even watching the coverage, there's all the someone makes a birdie, it pushes somebody out, and then yeah. someone like makes a par on say the seventeenth hole, and bogeys the last, and then now they're out. But then someone else makes a bogey, so they're back in again. We were hoping for a bit more of this last week um, at the Portuguese Masters with a one-one-seven, you know, because it it didn't quite pan out with a big story but obviously with uh I, I guess it was Sadie who was the one who was like trying to steam through the field who knew he needed to finish 
in the top two, I think, to to maybe sneak in. If he won, he would have definitely got his card. I quite like about this uh, tour challenge final is that if you're if you're in forty third and you win, you've got a really really good chance of still getting one of the top twenty spots. So it's like everybody in the field, no cut has got a really, really good chance. And I think talking about Todd, I spoke to him after the first round. He he came out the blocks really well. I think he was projected to go into third. Because was he in a tie for third or a tie for first? I think he's yeah, in a tie, tie for, for first third, yeah. after about 20 holes. And then, you know, I'm not sure whether or not it just it mentally knows he's already home and dry and he's just probably thinking about the next part of his schedule and and resting up and all the rest of it and congratulations to him really happy for him but yeah it was just this was just back and forth and back and forth and as mark mentioned as we we're walking upstairs there's a couple of uh, a couple of old school englishmen as well shot through mark didn't they yeah yeah they did yeah yeah there's been well matt baldwin he, he crept in on what was that 19th card he did yeah he started the, the week at 22 22nd and yeah. uh had played really well in that last round Stumbled across the the line really finishing bogey bogey, but he was he was the one pushing Nathan Kimsey, who was the mm. eventual winner, um, and, and eventually who, won the challenge started, tour, right? Yeah, started out the the rankers at sixth, then moved up to win the challenge tour, James, and he kind of pushed them all the way. So he did finish bogey bogey, Matt Baldwin, but got his card nineteenth card, and you know I'm really pleased for him because he's worked really really hard, and he's you know it's not always been easy for Matt Baldwin. He's had some off course stuff go on with his health and so forth, and then to put the effort in and get it back was really cool to see. Bryce Eason, he was a big, he was a pretty big jumper, jumped up 20 spots to grab 18th place. He was nice. the biggest mover, which is pretty cool. Alongside John Parry, who got to 17th, he moved up 17 spots, who I'm pretty sure he had the birdie of the last and hit it in inside two feet on the last time and got to tap it in wow. for that, which was pretty ballsy. Yes, pure. Yeah, that was really good. But yeah, commiserations to Matthew Kredetsky and Alejandro Del Rey, both missing out by less than two thousand euro or points, which is really, really painful. But they do get another bite of the cherry at the final stage of the DP World Tour Q School. So, do we not all over for them? How many spots under the twentieth said go straight into, or does everybody go straight to finals? Who who was in the Tour Challenge? Yes, yeah, so everybody was in top forty five goes to goes to the final stage. Right. Okay. So yeah, it's not it's not end of the world. Um, but yeah, but then even Nathan Kimter, he's trying to win the tour because if he wins the tour, there'll be other, there'll be bigger events that he gets into. Yeah, there'll yeah, be of course. Rolex events and so forth. So if you're inside the top five, you get into all the big ones. So if you finish, you know, if you finish seventh, it's a big difference between finish seventh and fifth. Yeah. In the opportunity of what money you can have a go at next year. So, but you could just see some of the shots, like even like kind of Nathan Kimter off the first, as it turned out, it, he ended up in a pretty good spot, but on the first tee shot, he sniped it straight left. Poor yeah, hook, yeah, yeah. Just, uh, the work, one of the worst shots he'd probably hit all week. You think this guy is like, no, he's supposed to be number one and it even, it even got to him. Probably the best hole to do it on though, isn't it? It's like a 500 yard par five. Wide open. Wide open. It opens up a bit. I mean, you see Baldwin's drive. He he bounced it on the, uh, like he hit it pretty flat. So he's, he's just, I think because it's a bit, bit of a gust and he, he pitched it on a car path at about 275. And he was genuinely like 115 yards ahead of the guy. I can't remember the other person in their group. But he had like nine iron into the stick. Like, uh, it was just nuts. Yeah, Bryce Easton. Bryce Easton, yeah. yeah who hit, he hit a three-wood off the tee, though. Yeah, well, it's only weird. 500 yards, isn't it? So. Yeah, but why would you know the driver? It's wide open, isn't it? Nerves. It's nerves. Nerves, it's nerves. Yeah, it's nerves. Nerves. But yeah, lovely-looking golf course. Mm. Had, the weather looked pretty benign on, on the last day. Kimberly kind of took the tournament by the scruff of the neck in the back nine, a hole and eagle putt on the par five, and it was 
pretty much done and dusted by that point. But yeah, congrats to all those guys um, who have put in the effort all year long. Special mentions from Marco Penge, who's finishing top, the top 45. He'll have another go at Q School coming up. But yeah, you know what? I don't recognise that many names these days. Getting old. <laughs> there's like there's, guys, there's a couple of names in there who I thought were people I know, but they're, they're just like, obviously, they're probably the sons of the people that I know. Yeah, it could be. There's, there's, Getting there's old. Scrolling through. But as you say, but like, you know, John Parry, he's been off the radar. He actually went, he's gone, he's bounced Euro Pro, top five, straight to Challenge Tour, top 20, and now he's back on the tour. I mean, that's a guy who's, and he's been a tour school specialist in the past. I think he's got for a number of times. Has he ever held his card on the main tour after yeah, making it through? He has once or twice. Yeah. He's done it, yeah. He played in the US Open a couple of times. He had quite an interesting off course situation going, which we won't talk about on there. <laughs> I'll tell you what later. <laughs> or if anyone wants to ask me, ask me in person. It just, yeah. It just highlights the journey, doesn't it? That all these, you know, most. Uh, tour players whether it be PJ tour European tour or lesser tours like um, the journey that they all go through I mean we focus quite heavily a lot of the time on the, the top boys and rightly so but for the most part everyone's got their own story that's affected by so many different things and uh, they're all really really interesting in their own right and as you say like sometimes I I really uh, enjoy watching the lower end where people are on the mark where there's a lot to sort of gain but also a lot to lose and you that that's that's great to watch I mean obviously uh, there will be losers and it'll be sad to see but I don't think that's covered enough in I don't think we see enough of, enough on a Friday of the cut golf. Do you know what I mean? I don't know why on a Friday, which is kind of right in the middle of everything, we don't need necessarily need to see what the leaders are doing. Let's let's move to what's happening around the cut because there will be stories around that week in, week out. It will mean something for someone and something for someone else. And and also, I think most of the golfing population will be able to relate to that kind of pressure one way or another. And maybe some of the poorer shots or the way that people might have to manage their game just to get it across the line. That that little feeling when your your game's slightly on the decline. (laughs) You're just trying to hang on to scrape through to the weekend thinking it will be all better tomorrow if I can just get through yeah definitely. it is a really good story when that net when the netflix documentary comes out i think that'd be really good just to see the other side of like obviously you'll see people win and do well but that other side where people are like hanging on and it's stressful and they're you know maybe chipping away at their caddy or when they come off you know maybe where they're just like blaming somebody else or you know or and also the elation of getting through the cut have you know going through the feeling of struggling and finding something at the end to just get yourself the other side. Well, as you say, hopefully the Netflix uh, documentary captures, because they're working with a group of players throughout the year, you'll have that journey, won't you? If you can focus on one or two guys and, and watch the whole journey, yeah, it will be great to see because there will be highs and lows. That'll be pretty cool. Yeah. And that's meant to be, I think that's coming out in January, isn't it? Yeah. Pretty, so I've heard. Pretty soon. I'm, it's I'm excited about that. Yeah. 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 That'll be, be a binge watch. If, well, it's Netflix, yeah. So you will be able to binge watch it. That will definitely be a binge watch. I think one also to mention on the challenge tour, who got his card, Zed, was um, who we were watching him earlier in the year, that young lad, Tom McKibben. I don't know if he chased Todd down, but he started a round of golf, didn't he, with like seven in a row or something. Mm-hmm. But it was only, I think he only turned pro during the season because he was onto a knew that he was it was turning out quite well for him he, he's only recently turned 19 first year on the challenge tour finishes 10th got his main tour playing right it's under the age of 20 it's pretty special yeah that's really really good that you know to to fly through at such a young age as well to have like no scar tissue and go whoosh straight through to the tour it could be a star in the making mm. 
think yeah. golf's coming a, a little bit like tennis now, isn't it? Where these young guys are coming through and and they're they're ready to go and and it's getting younger and younger, isn't it? You say nineteen, like. Mm. You know, tennis now, I think if you're not doing it by 13, you know, and it's time to call it a day. It always seems, obviously, that, that won't be, uh, that I'm not a, a big not on tennis. But, by 2013. Yeah, <laughs> but, the, but the numbers, are, I think we're starting to see younger and younger guys being just ready to go, ready to win. And also willing to take the risk earlier. So not too worried about some college or some university. Yeah. They're ready to go. And uh, look at Tom Kim. He's, what is he now, 19, 20, maybe. He's been a pro for about five years. Yeah. Really? He's already won the Asian Tour, yeah. He's, he's... You know, he's coming to the PJ Tour this year. He's done fantastically, but yeah. he's already won the Asian Tour. Like, <laughs> and he's a, he's, a, he's a kid basically, which is testament to what Mark's saying. You know, I think the training is so different. Like, yeah. there, it used to be a bit of guesswork, whereas now it's not really guesswork. Now everyone knows like what makes a good player, what speed it is, what a dispersion need to be. Haggers need to be at putting. You know, it's more of a calculation to work out what you got to do rather than. Before, it was a bit like, you know, did you have some weird little superpower which was going to carry you through? And it was, you know, did you have enough talent? But but now, you know, it's much more calculated. A bit like football, I suppose. They have, you know, there's like a, there'll be a bit of a system for, you know, what sort of size, what sort of strength, how, what sort of speed. And, there, and then there's, there's the touch of like, you know, being spotted by the right person, by the right coach or whatever, but... And I think those guys are more informed, aren't they now? Mm. So the coaches and the scouts and the, whoever it is, the performance mentors, they, they can pick out these things earlier, get working on them earlier. And like you say, the formula is, is less guesswork. Yeah, I mean, back to when we would have played, it wasn't, I can't remember ever re- being in the England setup, ever being put on, I think maybe once we were put on some sort of a, mon- like a trackman monitor, but it wasn't really a trackman monitor, it was some other thing that Titus brought down. And everyone's swing speed were really high, but it's because like they used to put a marker on the toe, and obviously the toe swings much hard, faster than the heel. So everyone was like, everyone thinks they swing at 130 miles per hour back then, but it wasn't <laughs> the case. It was just where the toe swings faster. But other than that, I can't remember any sort of like technical data, or you know, there was no sort of there was no system other than who won the swindle that day. You know? I- I did a very, very early on when I was probably about 19, I did a biomechanics thing with Kingston University. There was someone doing a, a study and, and the if you look at what the systems are now and how sort of unintrusive and, and simple they are to set up versus what I, I spent probably a whole day in there and it probably took two hours to set me up yep. in my pants and my socks to, with all the, <laughs> all the markers to just hit a few balls and then you'd have to recalibrate for 30 minutes. Like it was archaic, but again cutting edge at that point yeah. and led the way for probably where we are now with some of that stuff but yeah it, it's moved we used on to, the game we used has to changed the, um, we used to have the Essex players at the Essex team they used to come down to American Golf in uh, Braintree because we had like a, a sim monitor and they'd come down and like you know their dad would be like oh yeah yeah no we're looking at a new set of clubs and I, I just I just knew like after been in there for like to John letters. I, after, <laughs> well that, not American Golf but after they'd been in there 35 minutes and like gone through the bags, they're just doing their numbers. So you like on a Saturday when you've got like queues of people wanting to try out R510 Taylor Maids, you've got like some lad just like grooving six sides <laughs> into the bay. Or just working on his game. I like, think they were just, just getting get, the numbers, like carry numbers. Hits it. Yeah, and he's like, oh, you know, what's the wind like? I'm like, I don't know. It's not, you know. Like, <laughs> so I was obviously downwind, so I can sell more. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, you used to do that. Like that actually used to be what you used to do. Oh, yeah, you used to calibrate to, to your favour. And altitude. Yeah, my, we, we, I took my dad for a fitting up on A217 years ago and I thought I was going along with him there was a geezer in there and he, he goes and he starts hitting shots and he's hitting 7-9 like 
like 175, 180, and that hits it 145, 150 on a good hit, you know, carry numbers. And I was just thinking, I, this guy must not know that I know what I'm talking about here. <laughs> and he's hitting these shots, and he gets his hybrid out, and he hits his hybrid, and it's like kind of like 240, and like, he doesn't hit his hybrid 240, no chance. He's going like 30 to 40 yards longer than what it would normally. And I remember just saying to the guy, is that, is that like setting on altitude or downwind? And he was like, Oh yeah, yeah. So yes, yeah. Of course it was. So it was forty like, degrees of heat. Uh, it's just outrageous. He, he, if he was smart, he would have bumped it up a little bit. But like to put thirty yards onto a seven iron is just like it's ridiculous. You know, <laughs> you know. The worst thing is, I'm pretty sure I know the place and the guy that you're talking about. <laughs> I can't remember the guy's name. He wasn't there for very long. Disclaimer: It was not me. Would you know so. who he is? I, d- I, I think I do. Yeah, yeah. It was it quite was... a few years ago. Yeah, yeah. I, I think I know. <laughs> Where no is? naming and shaming. Yeah, don't go to him, whoever it is. <laughs> what else is happening this week? PJ Tour was in Mexico at the Mayacoba, uh, which is looks like a really amazing Serious resort. Spot, yeah, it's mm. unbelievable. Kind of hence why they get they get a half decent field down there this time of year, which they're probably trying for fields. Russell Henley kind of bossed it. It seems to be like a really good. He kind of sits just above a journeyman. Doesn't really ever figure in any majors, but. He's happy. He's won, I think, four times now, maybe five times. He's just a, a really good player. There's a few players sitting in that bracket. You think you never hear from him, and that, but then you, you look at his stats. You think, oh, he's making all the cuts. Always keeps his card. Always finishes kind of between thirty and top hundred. I think. What do you reckon, Mark? I think the fact that he wins pulls him a little bit out of the journeyman bracket. It's his fourth win. Yeah, yeah definitely. Uh, he's just a solid, solid guy, isn't he? And he's been around for a long time as well. Mm. Probably at least a decade. Yeah. 2011 he turned pro oh there you go that's not bad um yeah no i was listening uh to the i on the way over i listened to the uh nlu uh, podcast and they they had an int- interesting point about him and and some of the other guys like brian Harmon, etc etc where they're kind of in the category where if they were walking through the airport you know they're never going to get bugged because no one knows who they are. So they've got that perfect level where their bank account is constantly being topped up. Like probably, they probably are on like 20, yeah, like 30 million living the dream, but having price. none of the interruptions or the responsibilities that yeah. the top players have. So yeah, like you say, I mean, it's kind of, I don't know these guys personally, but it, it could be just the perfect scenario for them. Like yeah. they're banking all the time there, but they can, they can do it the way they want to do it without interruption and all the media responsibilities. Yeah. Like it could just be the perfect area to operate in. But yeah, no, they're not, not prolific winners, like mm. not big names. And hence why I think for me, I, I tried to get into the, the PJ tour this week and it's just a hard watch, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, especially that uh, yesterday, uh, six ahead, like even the, the, the guys on air yesterday were writing it off after six, after he'd made those three birdies yeah. after his single bogey on the par five, they, they'd written it off. And I was like, well, what am I watching for? If you, if you're being paid to <laughs> you're com- com- uh, commentate on this and you're done, then w- why am I uh, clocking in? So yeah, it's a tough watch, but you know, a great win. I keep hearing that word journeyman and a few people, even on the commentary on the telly, keep, keep talking about it. And you just sit in there, you're trying to justify kind of who falls into that, caliber of player or not but I mean if you, if you look at his numbers it's his fourth win on tour uh, he's, had, he's had 249 starts you know 250 he's finished in the top 10 37 times which is mad really I mean that's a, that's unbelievable and he's yeah Zed you were right on the, right on the money 22 million dollars career earnings on course he's 33 years old you know you can't not walk away from that and oh, he spent 21 of it on booze and birds yeah decent what ledge um <laughs> But like, you can't not go and sit there at your Thanksgiving and think, 
done all right here, haven't I? I mean, like, I mean, they said laying down the marker as a multiple PGA Tour winner. I was looking at someone the other day because, uh, funnily enough, you know, when we had our the apartment that Nicole and I had when we were in um, in Dubai when we were staying out there during lockdown. A family that we we'd got quite um, quite cool chatting to. The lady had actually. I was sitting there talking to her. her name was Ruth. And her current husband, who who is very successful in his own right, he just uh, sold one of those kind of mini businesses to Amazon that was set up on the Amazon store. But she had a choice between him and Martin Laird. So, and she went in that direction. I, so I've paid closer attention to Martin Laird's career since she mentioned that. Because I was like, yeah, he's, but he probably would be someone you call a bit of a journeyman on the PGA Tour, wouldn't you? Yeah. Another guy, $21 million career income, Scottish guy, moved out and, and studied in college there. Never been in, in any conversations about Ryder Cups or, or anything like that, just journeyed through and, and made a shed load of shed load of uh, Kashish. Kashish. German players are really, really good golfers. And mm. that's, I think sometimes a bit of a negative connotation to journeymen. I don't know if it's because of the word used, but those guys know what they're doing. They do it year in, year out. You know, to have somebody keep their car for that amount of time is that's quite something. You know, that, that's really good. And if you if you ever get to play golf with a tour player who's been on tour for anywhere between a year to five years, they're really good. And then any, any tour player that's been on the tour for, say, 10 years is, like, really exceptional, to be honest with you. But we, we get spoiled a little bit by... Well, I think there are two things. We get spoiled a little bit by the world-class players that we get to see all the time. But then maybe the coverage is not good enough, like Mark said, to yeah. show the rest of the players and tell those stories. Yeah. Because everyone's got their own story of what makes them... or gets them to where they are. But just, I guess, in the media, it's kind of built up a certain way and yes, we do want to see like the best of the best, but yeah, because you ever get up see up close and personal with a German golfer, they really know their shit. Well, and because that, that really annoys me how the coverage has somewhat diminished your viewing opportunity because maybe he's not as fashionable as a Rory or a Ram or a, a DJ or someone like that. But he's a guy who's just gone in there and just obliterated a field. You know, because you know when you're a professional, as you'll know, your best golf on your day, you feel like you can beat anyone. Doesn't matter where you're playing in what field, you just know if you're on, you're on. And he's been on this week. He deserves all the accolades for that. You know, he's beaten a. There's some pretty good players still in that field who have still gone there, like Hovland and others. And he's just gone there and, and just turned up. I think he was 16 under after two rounds. He was he was miles clear, wasn't he, early on? And then I think his final round, he only shot one. So he was, what, 22 after three rounds? Gassed it. <laughs> just, yeah. Massive gas pedal. <laughs> Scotty Sheffer breathing down his neck, who shot 62. Which <laughs> Scotty Sheffer is obviously a really freaking brilliant player. He's unreal, isn't he? But weirdly enough, I think to me, he just looks like a really amazing journeyman. <laughs> because but you know what but that's nothing to do with his golf I think that's yeah. more because of like him as a because he's just like a, a normal geezer and he doesn't have that like fireworks about him like John Rahm has like a real like you know he's like really emotional and has like mm. a real presence about him where Scotty Sheffer by comparison doesn't have that presence but he's got a, obviously got a big time game but you know maybe it's, is it the way he dresses the fact that he rolls around in his old pickup truck that he had in college and that sort of stuff he just he just much more low key sort of geezer. Where's Tiger's uh, shoes? I just wonder if like uh, the way golf has gone, it's become a it's it's big business now, isn't it? And as you say, there's a formula. Whether or not that whole thing has just sterilised the characters in the game, like there's everyone sticks to themselves, especially on the PGA Tour. They know what they want to do, how they want to do it, and I don't know whether that does just stifle some of the characters coming through. And so if you had Scotty Scheffler, right, you're his manager. What would you do to like? Get him a bit more of an exciting profile. There's got to be something he does in his life that 
He said uh, after he won the, the Masters, he went, home, he went home and mowed his lawn. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, it's probably like uh, Leishman. Leishman <laughs> yeah. loves it, doesn't he? Just say, do diamonds Ma- next time. Don't Le- do lines. He's got a bit of character about he does, it, doesn't yeah, he? Yeah, he's yeah, quite he- funny, isn't he? You know, Aussies are generally quite like, they're a bit more out there, and they're a bit, they're not as reserved, are they, in their comments and stuff? Whereas, like, what would you do with Scotty Scheffler? But everyone says that Scotty's like, you hear. pink shirts or something. You see, like, after some of these tournaments, uh, when the mic's live and everyone's congratulating each other, and like, Scotty's parents say just lovely things to the person that's just beaten their son or he says great things like he's obviously a good guy good background great family but there's still got to be something there's got to be a spark for him something that makes him wake up in the morning outside of golf and think yeah pump for today I'm, I'm going to do like, this or I'm going to do that what if they like mic'd him up or something like that yeah because I feel like that gives like say like Spieth doesn't need to be mic'd up because he's just always gibbering away and so they yeah. send the mics out to him but like Justin Thomas they've mic'd up a couple of times and that kind of helps a little bit. I know he's got himself in trouble, isn't he, with a bit of a dodgy comment, but it does give him a bit of character. He swears yeah. all the time like, as well. Even if someone comes across as a, like a sensitive golfer, if you can just hear the conversations between Caddy and... Do you know what I mean? Like There are guys out there that are characters, but if they're guys that might be quite sensitive and the conversations are quite considered and mm. things like that with the caddies or anything like that, that will still give you a better insight into this person. Yeah, and some like no people... Exactly. Yeah. Like Then some people might be able to attach something to him but at the minute as you say you can't put a label on him and there are plenty of guys out there you can't put a label on because you don't get enough time or insight into them around that week on tour it doesn't have to be on the golf course or even in the media room it can be on the range it could be when they're eating when they're going to the gym like they're will just because he ducks out of because he doesn't do as many interviews or he doesn't get asked or whatever it is. I feel like the other little one number ones, he you know all about them. But yeah, with the, with the media just will click. If he takes himself out of that scenario, the media won't engage. And so therefore, you know, it's almost like the media will say, well, look, we could have made you this person, but now we're not going to bother because you're not giving us anything there. I'm sure there 100% there will be an element of that. If you don't play with us, we're not going to play with yeah. you type thing. Because so. he's, not, he's not disliked, is he? He's just like, not there's, not, there just doesn't seem to be much substance behind what it is, you know, even with DJ, like he plays, sometimes he just plays like the, plays the one word answers, which actually then becomes quite funny. He's, he's the he Kimi Raikkonen of, of golf, isn't yeah. he? Kimi, <laughs> Kimi Raikkonen is, for me, one of the best uh, Formula One drivers. And I, if I see him on the TV, I'll turn it up or just to catch that mm. glimmer, that just that one sentence. If it comes out, it will be golden. And, and yeah, there'll be guys out there that, because he hates the media. He hates any of his commitments. Mm-hmm. He just, he's there. He loves, he loves, driving fast and, and doing all the other stuff with his family. So someone, you could categorise him as boring, but he's not at all. Yeah. You just have to get, get to him. Get to so, him, yeah. And that, I think that's the job. The media maybe are a bit lazy in, in trying to get those characters to come out. But also the, the player, whoever it might be, has to be willing to give you something yeah, exactly. as well. If they want to duck out, they can. And I think some people are different, aren't they? Their management groups, whatever. Some people just aren't willing to give that. And some management groups or teams aren't, willing to help them push it to, to, to maximise. But there's also just a point where he might just turn around and say, I don't want it. I am not paid to be a puppet or, no. or, or a ringleader or anything else like that. I have gone through college to be a professional golfer. I'm doing the best to my ability. I'm, I'm satisfied. It's a tricky world, isn't it? Because you kind of, you sit in that like... You look at his record. You, like you don't want it like... Um, we're moving to a different part of golf now because essentially golf is entertainment. Mm. It to, is, to, yeah. To, to sit back and say, I don't want to talk to the media, I just want to go and play my golf and be on my, on, on my own. It's kind of, when they when they sign up to the PJ Tour or the DP World Tour somewhere, 
you're signing up to be in the entertainment. Like you're you're the face of it. So you're kind of doing everyone else a disservice by saying I'm not going to talk to anybody because they can't not talk to the press and so forth. Like, it's, I think it's, like it's, you- it's a part of the bigger picture, which. Which growing up, you kind of you, you do go to the passing green and you, you think you hit pats, thinking this to win the open, not this to win the open, and then go and do a press conference. But to get paid the big bucks, you got to play ball because it, it's not just for you; it's for, for the fans. To allude to your point, though, there will be, um, you know, if Rory's not playing, technically by design, he's the highest ranked player in the field. You know, from a world ranking perspective, so that would just come with media obligations from signing his PGA Tour contract. He'll be obligated to. Outside of that, going over and over and above, yeah, maybe he's less motivated by it. But just looking at his record, then actually, it's nuts. He's fin- he finishes in the top ten every three events he plays. Like he's he's had thirty top tens in ninety starts. Is this Rory? Now, no, this is no, Scotty Scheffler. Sorry, and he has already won twenty one million dollars on tour. But like to allude to your point, he reminds me a little bit like Brooks, albeit Brooks has kind of played on this whole pantomime villain kind of thing. But he kind of looks like he's the sort of person who he needs like a Michelob or like a Cause Light sponsor or something like that. He's he's a very traditional American, isn't he? So if you're his manager, you go out and get. But you've got a pickup truck. Let's get you a Labrador with a bandana and like get you get and just get your neck in a couple of beers at home, you know, whilst chewing grass sort of thing. So he's like Brooks in what way? What he's like the all American boy? Yeah, I think he is. I think he very he feels like a very much an all American, doesn't he? Um, very family orientated, quite old school. A lot of the traditional. Drives a pickup truck. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, very Clark Kent from Kansas sort of thing, you know. Right. Uh, so you, so you get my beer sponsor. Yeah. Mark, what would you do with him? It's uh, a tricky one. Um, just exposure uh, from a media point of view. Exposure to something else outside of golf that makes him tick. Uh, if you need to, uh, the, for me, the only way you're going to be able to engage with a character is if you know something more about him. And I think we just don't know any more about Scotty Scheffler other than the fact that we put him in this pigeonhole. We pigeonhole him as this journeyman pro that has somehow made it to world number one. He's smashing it, but we well, he's a bit sort of blah. Yeah. There's so many things you could do with him, thinking quick marketing. He uses a Cameron putter. Just do the Scotty Scotty or something like that. Do you <laughs> know what I mean? A Scheffler sounds like a good name for a car. Get your Scheffler pickup truck. That, you that, you know. So what do you do, Zed? If, you, if you're if you're listening, James is more than yeah. happy to. I'm your marketing guy. Change, change your your marketing profile. I think to keep it more pure, I would like just mic him up. I think it'd be a really easy thing to do. Just get him and his caddy mic'd up, and you just hear a bit more about what he's about. Mm. But yeah, I do like the beer and pickup truck idea. That's, that's <laughs> Thank a, you. Cheers. A bit more fun. Right. All right then. So what what would you do? With, what would you do with Rory? Would you change Rory in any way? No, I think I feel like Rory's gone through his journey where they very subtly. Once every couple of years, Rory smashed it right because he's he's he's, probably, men- he's got loads of money and he's getting paid loads because he's not only because he's got a nice cold swing and he's good, but because he always gives you a soundbite. He's back on men's health every so often, so he appeals to a wider market. He's enjoying that, he's ripped now, isn't he? Compared to when he walked onto tour when he's a bit yeah. holding a bit of puppy fat or whatever, and also like he, I, I, I gent, I know we had a not a dispute, we just a, a friendly kind of confrontation. I think he has got better. At media as the years go by like I, th- I think now he's Rory. yeah I think he's just gone up the ladder of like appeasing the media but he's, he's also been made got, to look good this last year or so yeah but he's also he's also quite happy to have his own opinion and like always, yeah and, he'll, and he'll always put his he'll put his neck on the line and if he fucks it up he'll, he'll just he'll own the fact that he messed it up and he'll yeah. apologize so I don't know really who's, who's another boring player that you could like turn around by a little bit of marketing who else have we got there <laughs> 
boring player that you could mm. turn around a bit of marketing. Okay, here's one for you, Bernard Langer. Oh. What? <gasps> yeah, that is a tough I mean, one. He's, he's an amazing golfer, isn't he? But around that, he's one of the most boring characters in golf. <laughs> Straight shooter. Yeah. But his legacy, his legacy precedes himself, doesn't he? He's almost just like happy to trot around. He's almost quite happy to trot around just on the bravado that he's got so many wins under his belt. He's renowned as like the most successful Champions Tour player cool. ever. You're not going to have dinner with him, are you? No. Well, I would I'd actually quite like to have dinner just to say like, what made you think... So oh, you could talk more. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Bernard, back to me. Well, would you, have, I mean, have you got personal experiences then? You just know he just... He just I read his book and right. it, was, it was a painful read. Really, absolutely painful. I read Sam Torrance one that was really like really engaging. You know, then you read like some other footballers, like the Roy Keane ones, which are like you know all the all the stories where he just like goes after people. The Tiger Woods one, even Darren Clark was was pretty good. And I remember just getting a Bernard Langer's one. <laughs> and I just feel like, what is this? It was so boring. <laughs> I did get through it, but yeah, it was it wasn't for me. Yeah, he's a tough one. Let's leave him there. Who? Come on, let's have another name. Yeah, someone more current, I guess. I find Colin Morikawa really boring. Go on, yeah, he's a good one. Okay, well, where would you go with him? <sighs> I don't know. Bar Bar having a really cheeky smile, but he he reminds me of um, he reminds me of the kid who plays the piano in Hangover Three. He looks like that. <laughs> the the the, the chop bro- his finger off. Yeah, the brother of the uh, the brother of the one he marries. You know, <laughs> not Hangover Three, Hangover Two when they go to Thailand. Um, but with with him again he's probably someone that you need to mic up he needs to be not so vanilla Um, he spoke really well at the uh, at the speech when he won the Open Championship and for a young guy just out on tour he really held his own and he was really confident I think we're kind of getting missing a trick with someone like Colin Murakawa I think he's he's got a lot to give he uh, Trevor Immelman's comments this weekend riled him up didn't it Oh, yeah, I saw he, that. He, he made a comment. Uh, I think Trevor Rimmelman was trying to make a positive comment on that uh, Morikawa's bar was set to a certain standard, and, and he's he sort it, he of, and he's himself. reached it type thing. Yeah. And I think the way that it was relayed to Morikawa is like, "Oh, Trevor said this. What do you think?" You and can't get I, I, yeah, he, he sort of had it as like the ceiling. So then he sort of had a, a bit of a chip back, and and that's, sort that's of, good. Yeah, it is good, and uh, I think some of these guys just need a bit of prodding, saying, "Look, we need we need something more." Like, yes, your management group have probably told you to come in and answer in this way, and don't allude to that, and don't give them anything on this, but. Like Rory's benefited from being open, and people love him for it. And I think whether the media have got to be a bit more relaxed on some of the questions they ask to give these guys the opportunity to open a lot, open up a little bit, have a bit of fun. There's I forget what the Instagram is, account now is, but there are a group of comedians that um, are doing some stuff on Live Talk with the Live Guys, and they ask a lot of uh, questions in the in the, to the actual press, live guys yeah yeah oh, to really? the to the press conference in the pref, press conferences right. these guys are openly allowed to ask questions and they are ridiculous i'll get i'll figure out the instagram name so people can sort of have a look they're really funny guys and the players interact with them and have fun as well right. now i know a lot of the live guys maybe they're they're more in tune with now the the whole uh, structure of live and it being more open and exciting and fun and but they get something out of the players that you never would have got you know you just can't imagine even on our tour tim barter asking some of these guys a question that would draw something out of them yeah. that's actually interesting it's like james said it's all a bit vanilla so i think just got to be a bit more creative in in the questions the, that um, we ask some of the, the 
I noticed like Iona and uh, NC try and ask a bit more like not as generic golf questions to some of the players like what they've been doing or what they have you know what they have for breakfast that sort of stuff which like just gets a bit more out of them yeah and, and, and maybe I don't really care just... about if someone's a porridge or whatever but at least you, you kind of they're a bit more normal and you know it kind of brings it opens them up probably more than anything but the, game, the, the game's so data heavy now that you move away from I remember back in the day when you were on tour you used to have to do a profile for the tour and it was everything like favourite football team, handicap term, pro. You just The tour just made it so that you could learn a tiny bit more about the profile of a player. You don't get any of that now. You get name, college they went to, year they turned pro, and then just a shit ton of stats like, you know, optimum driving and how many times they hit out the first cut and, yeah. you know, all that sort of... It's just numbers, numbers, numbers. So they turn them a bit robotic anyway, don't they really now? Yeah, yeah, they do. Okay. Well, um... Well, well, maybe that'll be something we can do next week. We'll pick a player. Kind of, right, I found this player. I think he's pretty boring. This is what I'll do with him. I think that's quite a nice little piece there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I quite like it. So we had some questions from some of the listeners. I've got some questions as well. pinged them through. So I'll go through. Here's one for James. Do you think Iron Loss should be set to keep things consistent across all the brands? Yeah, it's a funny one that because like it's it's one of those things when you're um, when you're playing with your mates and like they're using a set of tailor made seven nineties and you're using blades and he's like, mate, I'm hitting seven iron here. Like I thought I thought you hit it quite far. So like, yeah, but the loft of your seven iron is six degrees stronger than 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 mine. No, that doesn't make no difference. As like it does, makes about three yards makes about three yards carry a, a, a degree, but. I think look. I think it's one of those things where the manufacturers, certainly for the game improver, they're helping people get the ball out there a little bit further. Uh, I think there's going to come a problem when people are going to actually struggle getting the ball in the air again, which is one of the first things you ever teach someone about just trying to get the ball up, isn't it? You know. So, but I think on tour it's quite cool. I mean, uh, you know, someone like Tiger plays so the end of tradition, and it's actually quite mad how he's probably competitive yardage wise with clubs when he's using a nine iron that's 44 degrees you know when there's like 44 degrees would be a pitching wedge loft now in a set of pxgs or something like that so he's a whole club out but yeah i don't think it makes so much of a difference actually hitting the ball short with your irons i think makes it easier yeah because the gaps are smaller between each club between between each club i remember i was um, up at Wizzy once and uh, colin montgomery was up there and he was trying some new clubs and he was he was chatting about him, you know you know in typical Monty style they were like these big old clumpy bad boys, <laughs> and uh, I was just chatting to him about how, what are they like, and he was like, oh well you know they're they're going much further near, near their club further, they're, I really like them, you know really going off really nice, they, they feel great. And I said to him, does that does that not cause a problem for your distances? Can you get bigger gaps? And then he was like, oh yeah, didn't didn't think about that. That's a good point. And then he never soon used those clubs again <laughs> because he because he's a man who lived off of um, lived off of distance control. Mm. He was like he was like the bollocks. I remember I had a guy called Andy Podger caddy for me. Andy Podger caddy for uh, Faldo when he won his uh, when his first major, I think. Then um, caddy for Lazabao, caddy for Monty for years and years. And he would always talk about those guys when you're going around, and he would always just say, "They said those boys." They all just go one bounce and stop, one bounce and stop, and they just and what he was referring to was like their distance control was just that's what made them better than the next people. And now the game has changed a little bit because it's now about hitting it far. Those guys always hit it short, but approach play, Monty, Fowler, Lazabel, probably the best iron players of their generation for sure, and would be up there, you know, now really. 
there is a big thing towards you know the, playing on the ego of someone who buys golf clubs. But if you rein it right back, the king is knowing that you can hit. You have a seven iron that goes a certain distance, and the six iron goes a certain distance. It doesn't. One doesn't go miles, and one drops off because if you do hit a six iron that goes miles, and then you miss hit it, there could be like a twenty thirty yard gap mm. in those in those two shots. Should they be standard across all brands? Like. You, yeah, but then there's not really a governing body who says everyone everything has to be a certain way. Yeah, and every company's lie is different as well. You know, not every liars in like lie of the club or liars in the lying to everybody <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> about what club they hit. Spelt the same, but two <laughs> different meanings. But yeah, like not every pitching wedge would be 62 degrees. You know, you you, you see quite a lot of movement between something like 61 and 62 and a half. Mm. So it's really important actually for people when they go and get custom fit and they're moving manufacturer. Who, and they've gone and got one degree flat in a tailor made. You know, you need to make sure that you remember what that lie was if you're going to move over to Titleist or Callaway and things yeah. like that. Because you, one degree flat in one company won't be the same in another. Yeah. But yes. Talk, I mean, talking about loft and lies and weights and new clubs, James. James got a new set <laughs> last week. He was all buzzing. Like, all of them turned up within the week. It was just like, couldn't wait to go. And we went, you know, we wanted to play some golf over at Wentworth on the. Uh, Edinburgh course and uh, I mean, I just I'm not sure if these, these lovely new tailor-made clubs are going to make it to round two no so uh, are they straight off the rack no they're not off the rack they're come, they've come out of the tailor-made factory but I just off the rack in the tailor-made factory basically yeah, but they've been built in four days and it just doesn't it, I, I already had them I had the lofts and lies checked in the machine but swing weights feel all over the place you know they, they were just sat out the back and they've gone oi this, they look the same as those oh, there's ones. a left-hander. Or, or chuck those out. Get rid of those left-handed ones. They're not the right shaft. Don't worry about that. But put another sticker on them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I need to either stick by them and go and just like check all the swing weights and just do a proper full check or or just not move away from my tight list that work really they look, well. They look really nice. Yeah, they do look nice. To be fair. They didn't quite work. And uh, very humble of Zane there not to talk about the result of Friday's game or, or bring that into... Yeah, um, won't mention it. Won't mention the six and five win. There you go. <laughs> won't be there. Did you manage to play without getting wet? Yeah, it was a lovely yeah. day on Friday. Yeah, Friday was Friday was the good day. Good for you. Friday was a good day. Uh, so I've got a question which relates um, which relates to it because we asked the Discord guys and quite a lot of stuff came in this morning. So uh, Josh Sharp, who was actually Zane's partner on Friday, said, "Can you please ask Zane to talk through the driver of the deck he hit because he's never seen a shot quite like it." People love driving the deck, don't they? Yeah. You just put it on the deck, grip down a bit, and you hit down there a touch, and it goes off like a rocket. It's, it's hard to explain exactly how to do it. I would say you just hit it like you were an iron shot and hit down. People think you've got to sweep it and hit it on the up, but you haven't. You actually, you actually want to hit down a, a, a touch. Yeah. There's a bit loft on the club, and if you hit it hard enough, it will launch. <laughs> Ball enough it goes. Ball position? Like an iron, yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. So still under the left armpit, but a bit more lean. Yeah, just exactly what you were for a five iron, put it in the same spot. Yeah, I mean, just to give a bit of scope on on it. So we're playing a par four that they had. They held the lead early and and held on to it. It was it was becoming very. They so held on to it. Did you guys win a hole? No, <laughs> you did. Um, but they were. But they were. Um, just yeah. didn't hand him an egg very well. We got we got through to the back nine, and there's a par four on the Edinburgh that dog legs left to right quite severely up towards the green. It's about four fifty. And and Zane just created a little mound, and you can see this this lad's eyes. It's like, what is going on? I mean, this this is boggy anyway. It's just not even like it's it's firm. 
and he's just he's put this down and then just started it on this tree left and just like held it off of like a five yard cut. It was just a joke. But um, well, yeah. part of it is because I don't like my three wood. Yeah, and then you hit that three times and ripped it three times. Yeah, so it's a bit spinny though. It's not. It's not quite right. It's not. Quite, it's not quite there. It's too hard work. All right, next one. So, so, so my first question, by the way, was from Stephen Roberts. Then this one is from Matt Bryant, one of my pals, fellow lefty James. So if you could hole one shot in golf, what and where would it be? A driver, iron, chip or putt? If you could hold a shot. I'd really like to hole the 16th at the Masters. I'd love to just like feed it into that bank and just have it roll down like in the final round. Like if you're in, in and amongst contention, just to feed it into that slope and then just watch it just... Like, I mean, I know it's as as holding ones go for a pro, it's probably one they fancy a bit more, right? Because it's yeah. more pitching it in the right spot and hoping that the mound takes. Yeah, that or that or the 16th for Scottsdale would be mega to make an ace there. Mark? I've tried it a few times and come close, but I really want to hole out the second on mill nine with that pin on the back right. Oh, yeah. What so down so, the slope? Yeah, so smash it on that top slope. So get it just Interesting. right. So you're both going for one that feeds in, so there's a bit of drama. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, there. yeah, exactly. But I've I've tried it a few times when the flag's there and come close. But yeah, that would that would be nice to get that right. Yeah, that would be pretty sick, wouldn't it? Yeah, I, I mean, would, any, I would, making anything under five on mill nine is good for me. So. <laughs> you did you you figured it out? Did you not? A little bit. I think I, was, I think it's garden nine to my shoe now. Well, <laughs> yeah. for me, it would be. I would love to hold a twelve foot putt on the last at the Open Championship. What venue? Venue would probably be. To win it, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, just to shoot 75 and miss the cut. <laughs> <laughs> well, you've, you've played open championships. Uh, so just, just... Yeah, oh, many a 12-footer for three over par. At, um, I mean, at home of golf, that would be the one breaking left to right down the green. That would be pretty sick. Zach Johnson held a good part in the last. That would have been a pretty good feeling. That was to get him in the playoffs. So, yeah, that would be my one. So cheers for that, matey B. Sam Hower said, how often do you fancy giving playing another go? You know what, I've had quite a few people ask me this question recently and it's a funny one actually. I do love playing golf and I would like to, I'd love to compete but also respect how much effort all these full-time players put in, you know, watching the Challenge Tour guys go at this week and uh, the Tour School guys go at it. And then, you know, then back up to the top of the game. Watching the top of the game, I, I think it's changed my perception of playing a lot. I think when I did play, I um, probably held some of it on a, on a quite a high pedestal. And I think I wouldn't now because you kind of see golf from a different point of view. So how much do I think about it? I don't think about going, well, full-time for me now would be very different. I don't think I'd ever be a full-time just golfer. But like many of the top players now, they're, they, yeah, they've got other interests around their playing schedule. So... I think it's something we'd all like to see just as, uh, you know, someone who gets to play golf with you as often as we do. And uh, It's a funny one, really, because you, you, you think about it when you think, I've had a good day today. I could, I could definitely go play again. But then it's not quite the same as playing out on tour yeah. full time, you know, being in a hotel room on your own all week. You know, there's, you've got to get your head around that part of it. It's not that great. I played that Euro Pro 2 school what, year before last. Mark, you come up and... Uh, in Caddy for me and the, the stage which was up in Oxford like you hear about all these geezers on their, on their jets on the live jets and all that sort of stuff and they've got their you know got their whole team travelling with them and they've got their five star hotels and it's a bit different staying at the days in 
at the service <laughs> station in Oxford, uh, eating a sushi at the petrol station. That that was not there was not a high moment in it. But yeah, I would love to go and play at top level, but not at the the level on the way up is um is gonna be, it would be quite tricky, I would say. I was just about to say as well. You used to just seem pretty happy at the minute, like, <laughs> and that's a big factor. Well, I'm just happy, it? just playing Wentworth, taking James's not his money, but you know his ball marker. Take, we we play for a ball marker. Yeah, yeah had quite a lot of fun in that. But I, I do want to compete a little bit. I'll so, play a bit of Minotaur tour next year. But you you seem to yeah. have found, or you're finding your way back to that happy medium. Even like now, so even now being a plus five handicap, I know that's not. That's nowhere near good enough to compete against the top guys. Mm. You probably have to be, I think you need to be a, more like a plus eight sort of handicap to be able to compete with those guys. Yeah, but it's still very good for the amount of time mm. that you're willing to put into it. Like, yeah, you, like you say, like it's, suppose, it's, it's about yeah. knowing your, it sounds to me like you know your yeah. your level, yeah. which is great. And I think also like, it's not just about going and playing one or two events, is it? You know, you've got to go and play yourself into match mm. into match sharpness as well few, isn't there? Yeah. you need yeah. you need four to six under your belt just to kind of find out where your game yeah. is before you think you can start making some money so yeah, that's right we had another question uh, in the discord said which as i said zane and i'll be in dubai in two weeks time we have a filming day set would you rather see uh can js and zs break par it's like a better ball js versus zs or a, like a js and zs foursomes what's the best score you can do and uh, everybody voted for B. Like the, Can so, we break par? No, it'd be me against you, which, was, which is the one I didn't want to do. So, Well, you got to go with the public. Or with shots. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Plus five handicapper. Or maybe I could play like five clubs or something. I don't want to, I wouldn't give a shot. <laughs> I wouldn't give a shot for a club. You wouldn't give a shot? No, because you, you're a filth iron player. So you'd, you'd probably buzz off of having to like chip it up and stuff like that I'd be just as happy to get more shots and take clubs out of my bag interesting happy to do that as well if you want well you want to give up a club for what half a shot what so each club I give up I can, I get an extra half shot half a shot yeah so if I give up four clubs I get two extra shots I don't think that's worth it is it well I, I could give up a gap wedge quite easily and lean a sandwich and keep a pitching wedge I'd happily give up driver because I'm pretty good with three wood. I'd give up four iron because I'd chip up a five. I'd give up a, I could chip up a five wood. Mm. Um, Turf's different over there though, isn't it? Where would you be playing? Probably the Hells Club. <laughs> Shock. Ooh, yeah. Here we go. Go, go. go where he's good. Well, um, that'd be interesting. See, uh, you know, obviously pick out which format you're going to play. I'd be quite interested to see which one you pick before quite, you even start because that's, that's a bit quite of a gamble. Look, I was quite looking forward to seeing if we could team up, have some, you know, <laughs> have some camaraderie. Nah, there's no fun and, in that, is there? Try and break par. <laughs> Just 15 years of this, like, you know, there's no fun in that. Strain for uh, accolades and ban. There's no fun in that. Maybe Josh and I can uh, somehow get over there and play against the pair of you. There we go. That'd be nice. We're there actually we we're actually got a really good record when we play together, but he never wants to play with me. Always wants to take my money. Someone actually asks. We'd have a decent record, I would say. Yeah. Someone actually asks in your like ongoing friendship with uh, with Zane, have you ever beat him? <laughs> so I just yeah, you definitely have. I think I've, I think I won once. At Wiz, you won a couple of times. Yeah, I might have won at London Club once. I definitely won once at Wiz. There, there was probably a time when you when you won when I didn't realise we were playing. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> Winning's winning. 
I've definitely been on mill nine a couple of times, like one up and not one. That's for sure. There was that one time when you were, it was you, Josh and I, and you were like, I think you were beating us both gross. And then you made eight. <laughs> what, down mill nine? Yeah. See, that's when you need my dream shot, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. You just completely effed it. It was like... I just don't know what to do there. <laughs> completely lost I was we two or three, I think I was off. two or three under on the, on the night of tea, weren't I? <laughs> and um, yeah, finished over par. Uh, anyone who's not played at Wisley, that mill nine is like a 440 yard par four from the back tee and it's the, the water the circumference is the whole all out the right hand side right up to the from the tee to the green basically and James's little draw also the left wins off the left and, isn't it? and, the, yeah. and the left hand side is like the play is, yeah, is and, the play. and, and also the like left feathered, with, feathered with bunkers you'd be hit short at the bunker it's honestly people stress about that hole and, it's just, and it, you know what you just aim down the left like if you get in a par three and there's walls on the left just aim at the right fringe be, you know, if you push it a bit, it, you're still in. You're not, you're not in a bit. Of people, oh, so think, easy. I've got to hit it on the green, or I've got to hit it. It's in the fairway. It's like, okay, you you hit the fairway, probably in the water. I'm going to hit down the left, and I'm going to beat you. Like, that's literally how it goes. And there are some trees on the left within the first sort of 120 yards of, from tee to as, as you make your way down the hole. They're not really in play. Yeah. But even further left than that, about five yards left, the beginning just over the path, there's a bin. You don't want to know how many times I've seen people hit it. <laughs> yes, hit the bin. You <laughs> really? don't want to know. How many times that tee makes the just? I end up getting good at that hole because I just go to the right hand side of the box and I like shape my body so I can't even see water, <laughs> and I just wang it. You way, go for the par three. I wang it way left, yeah, and then just hit like then it's probably about a, it, it, as long as it's not that left to right into wind, which is pretty tough on mill nine. But it's obviously a great wind for eight because it's like straight down mm-hmm. out the left um, for that par five. And then uh, yeah, and it's got like you got six iron in, haven't you? But it's actually quite a good uh, angle to come in from as long as yeah. the as long as the pin's not like middle left because you've got that big bunker there. But if you've got a pin where you where you go from, that might be a good spot to hold it from. Yeah, yeah. So from the bin point. Yeah, <laughs> that's good. That okay. So what are you boys up to this week? What's what's in your golfing calendars? Oh, I'm not playing at all this week, but I'm definitely going to practice a lot and try and sort these clubs out and decide whether they're going on eBay or whether I'm going to persevere. Um, I'm going to get a new driver this week as well. What are you going to get? I'm going to get a TSR, I think. See the uh, the tightest clubs coming back out here. Got <laughs> yeah. all tightest for the back. He's using the Cameron putter as well. And Hartley's ball and Vokey wedges. Yeah, putter was all right. Just nothing really dropped. It's quite it's it's wintry greens, though, isn't it? It's a bit it's a bit mm. knobbly, but. It went okay. I'm definitely not going to change the three or the five wood. They're really good. You got okay with the three wood now because you obviously had a dig at me about changing the head. But yeah, I mean, you're just good with a three wood, aren't you? I am good with a three. Just really good yeah. with a three wood. Mark, are you playing this week or doing any golfing? Uh, I'm not playing, but I've got a bit of work this week, so uh, I'm doing a bit of work with a goat member actually on the Thursday, and then nice. yeah, busy for the rest of the week. Who's and that? Then, that's Matt Reynolds. Oh, nice. So yeah, really looking forward to that. He reached out after the Grove Day. So yeah, we're going to spend the afternoon together on Thursday, which would be cool. Yeah, some other bits and pieces through the week and then some merch stuff that's um, going out this week as well. You've got a meeting with JL, haven't you, this week? Yeah, we've got a meeting with JL on Wednesday. So yeah, yeah, it's a busy week, really. Yeah, good. I've got to get in the den with B unit and um, we're, uh, I can't say too much because we're waiting to make a big announcement, but we're... We're digitalizing the golfers, the so, so it's it's coming a bit more into the users' hands now. So there'll be there'll be something they need to design to assist us with the impending game, which would be pretty fun. 
nice. just told us a lot there about telling us anything. Exactly. And what about that event? Uh, we were talking about an event. Is it December, end of November, December? That we were. I think we got the green light for some of that stuff that uh, you were going to ask about. Ah, yeah, we pitched. Yeah, yeah so um, the weather's crap now, isn't it? So places like pitch become great. We were down there on Wednesday, Wednesday, yeah. Thursday, and. Um, what a great vibe it is, isn't it? And actually get to play golf and not be like freezing your nuts off and getting wet. And uh, yeah, so chat to the guys down there and we will come up with a date to have an evening at Pitch, likely Pitch Soho in December. And yeah, so they've got a bunch of simulators down there. So we'll get on the on the GC quads and play some golf on there. And then we just got to grab someone's Xbox or something like that. Maybe I'll, I'll, I'll speak to Roman, my son, to even borrow his and get the Tiger Woods game up in one of the Sims up on the big screen. That would be pretty good. And then we have chatted about the VR. I've never tried VR golf. There must be a couple of Oculuses knocking around, James. So we'll yep. get that going. But yeah, that that would be you know a bit of a new age golf thing, really. And, and Pitch is a really, really good venue in London. Easy to get to. Really that- vibe, drinks and good socialising. Yeah, and at that time of year, it's going to be buzzing, more so than it normally is. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's yeah. always a great vibe in there, as you said, but that it will be buzzing. I think I might try and head up there this week because it looks like it's going to rain every day this week. Yeah, nice. That also answers Bloomer's question, who was like, can we get a pre-Christmas event at Pitch London? Just let us know a date and a time. Loads of members want to come along. So, yeah, I'll, um, I'll donate the PS5 for the event because I've already got Tiger Woods on there. And by that time... Well, we'll be, be really good at it. And you'll be like, <laughs> I am the, really the good champion. At it. I am really good at it. I just won the um, I just won the FedEx Cup. So very nice. Yeah, just play a whole season for that. For, well, you, you can skip events, like, but I was I was going toe to toe with Morikawa every week. I took off. He won, which is really annoying. So <laughs> I had to play more events. I was just trying to skip my way through to the finals after winning a couple early on. Um, but anyway, by which point there will be a TBTC golf course on there for people to play on, which would be pretty cool. So Let that one slip. Oh. I'm slipping. Just let it go. Oh, it's out there. Uh, that's cool. That's, that, yeah, that'll be fun. That'll be really good. So yeah. All right, boys. Have a good week. Thank you for everybody for listening. Like, follow, subscribe at Bear Tiger across all the channels. And uh, yeah, enjoy the rain. <laughs> See you later. Peace.